We're sharing stories about why cities are great and how they can work better. Your host is Ryan Holywell, and this is The Urban Edge, produced by Rice University's Kinder Institute for Urban Research. Well, we just finished up Super Bowl 51 over the weekend here in Houston, an impressive victory by the New England Patriots, and by some estimates, a million people visited Houston for the event. And no doubt, many of them got around town using Metro's light rail system. What some folks might not realize is that the Super Bowl and the light rail system are actually very closely linked. Houston last hosted the Super Bowl in 2004, and just in time for that event, Houston Metro debuted its new light rail line. Back then, the red line carried folks between downtown, the Med Center, and Houston Stadium Complex, but today, the system is so much more. Metro has extended that red line north. It's added two new lines, the green line and the purple line, which extend eastward from the city center. And just a few weeks ago, and once again just in time for the Super Bowl, it finished the Harrisburg overpass, the final component of the green line. That means Metro's light rail system is officially complete. But that raises another question. Now that we have finished 16 years of light rail construction in Houston, what's next for transit? What's the next big project on the horizon? Where do we go from here? Joining me in the studio here at Rice University is the Kinder Institute's Director of Strategic Partnerships and expert on all things transit, Kyle Shelton. Hey, Ryan. Did you enjoy watching the Super Bowl? Yeah, it was a great game. It was a lot of fun and uh, very exciting to see Houston in the national spotlight. Absolutely. I, I think hopefully the majority of those million people enjoyed their time. Oh, I'm sure. I'm, how, how could they not? Good food. Every I, all, the tra- all the travel writers who are in town right now, all they have to talk about is how good the food is here. Awesome, awesome selfies in front of all of our new murals. New murals. I expect, I expect lots of wall photos, what I like to call album photos, people in front of the Houston-inspired art. Oh, yeah. those new that's, ones. That's then the, the classic We Love mm-hmm, Houston. Mm-hmm. It's fun stuff. So you heard my question. The system is built out. Broad thoughts. What's the next big thing for transit in Houston? Is the system ever really built out? Well, uh, I, that, I guess that's the million dollar <laughs> or billion dollar or multi-billion, multi-billion dollar question. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the, the, the components of the initial plan minus uh, a few lines, which we can talk about from, from the 2003 referendum, have been built out. The pieces that progressed are, are all finished. So we now have three lines, and I think it's up to, to maybe 27 miles of light rail total, maybe slightly lower. 22 to 27, somewhere in that range. Um, and the the question of what we do next, I think, is really important for Metro. And they're, they're about to embark or and kind of have already on some of the first stages of it, their next long-range plan. Um, I think starting at the board level and envisioning sort of where they want the agency to go, building off the success of the reimagined bus network that they just finished up and have been really able to tout over the last few months as being a major success for that in terms of ridership and efficiencies and, and I think, uh, approval of riders. I think most people uh, are finding that change really positive. Um, and so now with finishing up the, the light rail plans, uh, they have a really great opportunity to kind of consolidate the gains of those recent changes, consolidate the gain of, of having now time to focus on what's next, that the light rail uh, system is done. And that bridge was a really long process that you all could read about in my forthcoming book uh, that uh, 
gives them a, a great opportunity to say, what do we do next? And so I think it's a it's a big question for the region and, and thinking about what projects and if they want to do rail, if they want to focus back on buses more, bring in bring in more pedestrian approaches from Metro. I think there's a whole whole wealth of things to dig into. So I, I know you've been talking to folks from Metro, both at, both at the board level and the staff level. Um, last year, I was fortunate enough to have the chance to meet with uh, Metro's new board chairman. Um, when I met with her uh, about six months ago, she was very new to the agency. So I have to say uh, she, was, she was a little bit coy about what she thought for uh, about, about her thoughts on the long range plans for the agency. She was new to the chairmanship, chairperson. She was new to the She's chairmanship. Been, I think she had been on the board. Prior. Correct. Uh, there, there weren't a lot. Uh, they weren't telegraphing very much, mm-hmm. at least publicly, about about what way they were leaning. Uh, what are you hearing now? Well, I think that's kind of a to start. I think that's a bit of a benefit because they kind of have a clean slate. And and again, sort of wrapping up those two big projects and coming into this next decision phase, I think it's good to not say we're definitely going to do this next, but to kind of. Start at the board level and at the agency level of here's let's brainstorm what we think will be beneficial and and let's brainstorm where we want to allocate resources and think about those programs and and projects Um, and then be able to kind of bring that to politicians and to citizens as sort of here's this range, here's what we're thinking. Um, You know, in terms of particulars, obviously there's been a lot of talk about a commuter rail along 90A going down towards Missouri City and, and towards Sugar Land. I don't think it would go all the way to Sugar Land. Um, but that's I, I I don't know if they've discussed particular uh, endpoints yet. But the currently the service area stops in Missouri City, so I would expect it stop would be about there. Um, but there are lots of other options for other potential rail elements that are either extensions of these new lines, or um, you know I think it's important to think about other new areas or new lines that have not yet been proposed. So. You know, I think you got 90A. You... Let's 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 go through yeah, the list. Yeah, yeah. Let's, so, let's start with uh, 90A. Uh-huh. Uh, it was an idea that Metro had had quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. It got put on the shelf for a while. Now there's some renewed interest in it. Um, probably of, of all the plans that are out there, that's one that seems to have generated uh, quite a bit of political excitement. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would that do for the region? What are what are the advantages of going southwest uh, towards the suburbs of Houston mm-hmm. in that direction? Uh, and, and what would be the challenges with that line? Definitely. So I think when you have a project like 90A, one of the things to kind of keep in mind is the context around it. So that political, the political buy-in is there because it's a relatively simple line to build in terms of it's going to be along a major roadway. It's not trying to go through neighborhoods. It's not trying to go. It's not trying to serve huge hubs and connect through urban area that is already developed. It's going to go along. The right of way would be along a roadway, so it's pretty straightforward. Um, and it is a because of that, it is a project that is politically more palatable for a lot of folks, uh, a lot of representatives along all of those communities, right? So it's not, they don't, they can expect less opposition, I think is fair to say, um, from the neighborhoods along it, simply because the right-of-way is a very different kind of right-of-way. It's a straight shot along the highway that's not going to be disrupting communities. Yeah, for the most part. I'm I'm sure there will be people who feel disrupted and and who will want to talk about where it could go or not. But um, you know, the logic is basically similar to an express bus system. Let's try to give suburban commuters who are coming into the 
kind of inner loop job centers or inner beltway job centers, at least another option beyond cars. Um, and it really is probably best to think about those types of projects as solely commuter driven. It's not it's not probably going to have high ridership of people who are just, you know, taking a jaunt out to Missouri City from downtown. Um, it's more more than likely to be just people who are going back and forth uh, as employees. Um, and I think the really the big question for any project, not just 90A, is from Met, from Metro's perspective, is are is the investment and any major rail investment is probably going to reach into the billions of dollars, even if it's a relatively simple right of way. Is that investment worth the outcomes. So are they going to get enough ridership? Are they going to maintain current ridership if they're replacing an express bus, for example? And are they really going to grow ridership by building that line? And those those buses are already pretty popular. Yeah. And if you think about it, and, and the same would apply for a commuter line kind of in any direction, right? Not just 90A. But if there's an express bus going to you know, Northwest Transit Center or to down to 88 or out to Clear Lake, you know, if that's already a really successful line that's working relatively well for the riders on it and for Metro as an agency, I think there's an important question as to whether or not it makes sense to build a $2 billion rail line when you already have a bus system that is operating at a significantly um, lower price. Sure. Right. Um, so I think, you know, but there are obviously some advantages for folks who would be served by that line. Um, it's also, um, again, politically big transit projects like that are things that get a lot of traction. Um, and if you put yourselves in the shoes of a representative, um, being able to say, hey, I'm I'm bringing commuter rail here um, is very different from saying, hey, I've expanded, the, improved the frequency yeah, yeah, of I've, buses. I've brought another three uh, buses yeah. it's, per it's, hour. It's hard, it's, it, it can be hard to get citizens and voters amped up and excited about buses. Yeah, yeah. Even, even, even if they might work right, right. just as well or, yeah. or, or better. Yeah, and I think, you know, it takes something as revolutionary as the reimagining to get people to really pay attention to those things and to have that be a big news story that the whole region is thinking about. Referring to the recent uh, overhaul yeah. of all the city of Houston's bus routes, yeah. uh, which improved efficiency for uh, for many riders of the mm-hmm. system. Um, next up, uh, you look at the light rail map, you see this red line going north-south, you see these purple and green lines going east uh, out, of the, out of downtown. You don't even have to know Houston to look at the map and say, hey, this looks really weird. The whole west side of this Houston map uh, doesn't have anything on it. Uh, obviously, uh, the potential for a, a, a western uh, light rail line has been controversial. There's been talk about uh, bus rapid transit. Tell me about uh, kind of what the landscape is now for uh, something going into the western part of the city in terms of transit. Yeah, sure. So I think uh, one of the most important pieces of having the system in place now is that people can use it and and kind of see how it functions and how it works for them to move through different parts of the city. And so I think there's an opportunity there um, to, to kind of re-engage the conversation about what we want to see on the western side of downtown. Um, as you alluded to, the Richmond Rail, the blue line that was a part of the 2003 referendum was very controversial and um, ended up basically being blocked by a local representative because of uh, citizen opposition to it, uh, mostly 
business uh, business Con- owners. Congressman uh, John Colberson, yep. Republican from Houston. Mm-hmm. Mostly because he was hearing from business owners that along the the Richmond Avenue in his uh, district that they weren't excited about that line. Um, I think uh, they recently kind of struck a compromise to re-engage on that conversation and re-engage on some form of transit potentially in that corridor. Um, Representative Culberson's attitude towards that was that he wanted to take that back to, to citizens to think about any project that would potentially be uh, along that corridor. So there's there's some possibility um, there that that particular line could be re-engaged. Um, I think you, you brought up bus rapid transit, which is a another really good alternative. And I think, I, I know Metro has already started looking at how Westheimer on the outer edges of the city could be potentially a, a BRT route and thinking about some creative ways to turn a BRT system that comes up to about 610 and then goes south down to another road that could handle the capacity more than lower Westheimer, which is a pretty tight uh, space as you get closer to downtown. Uh, so there's also some possibilities there that you could build a, a BRT system that goes on Westheimer for a while, jogs down south, and then potentially gets on Richmond um, in a way that would be less disruptive than a train, at least in terms of construction. Um, so that may be more palatable for for residents. I think the the primary focus here, though, needs to be that that would be a huge benefit for the entire system. And that's one thing that I think Metro is going to be really cognizant of with whatever change or with with whatever big projects they do next is thinking about how do they leverage now these existing elements that they have rather than you can't you can no longer kind of think of things as a single component it's not a blank slate at this right, point right and and the the system the way you expand the system or connect to the existing system really matters um, because you can get more efficiencies you can you can lead to shorter trips for people now, um, easier trips. Um, so whatever modes and whatever routes they take, they really need to, as they did with the bus reimagining, think about how those connections are being made. And if I'm taking a BRT in down Richmond to the red line, that changes my experience greatly if I can just jump off and get on the line and get to where I'm right, going right. rather than, you know, going to a transfer station, getting onto a local bus, taking that local bus, having to go somewhere. You know, it's all of that is tied together. And so I think wherever they go and however they work in the Uptown BRT, which is under construction now, how they connect that to um, other job centers in particular, but also back to the red, uh, red line and the other light rails is a really important question for them to grapple with. Okay, moving along to the next project, uh, I know people out on the energy corridor in the west side of town on I-10, many of them might be interested in some sort of commuter rail line coming into the city. Um, Any chance of that, or has the ship sailed on the possibility of commuter rail uh, from the western part of town? I don't think you can never say the ship has completely sailed, right? But... uh when the Katy Free was expanded in the early 2000s, one of the primary right-of-ways upon which that could have really happened um, was claimed by road lanes. Um, so it's certainly more difficult than it could have been uh, previously. Uh, the same questions would apply, though, for a, for a Katy commuter rail that I think would apply for 90A, um, sort of what would the ridership be? Is it an effective enough investment um, in terms of that ridership? Like, are would you be pulling in enough people to make a difference in 
Metro's bottom line in traffic on the Katy Freeway. And again, I think the challenge that Metro faces is that because we haven't been a city that's oriented around a really multimodal system that's interconnected, so where you can use a car and use your feet and and use trains or buses, um, when we now, when we think about just creating an individual line out to a place that isn't served very well by other modes, uh, you still are going to confront an issue of like, well, great, there's a commuter rail there, but for me to get to it, from 20 minutes away, I have to drive. So you're not, you're, none of those projects are going to necessarily solve congestion, you know, out west on I-10, sure, right? Because sure. people are still going to, even if they want to take the commuter rail, get they're going to get there. And yep. so they'll probably have to jump on I-10. You know, it, it, it's not a it's not a silver bullet for those problems. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, they, they will probably be considering commuter options in a lot of directions because um, certainly traffic is a concern of a lot of folks and it doesn't work to keep widening highways, and we've tried that for 40 years. And so figuring out ways to either encourage activity and living closer to job centers out there or figuring out alternative ways to connect people to the rest of the transportation system is is really important. So uh, last project, uh, talk about uh, high-speed rail between Dallas and Houston. Uh, looks like if it does get built... Uh, the terminal won't be in downtown Houston, but would rather be uh, kind of in the northwest part of the city, uh, near 610 and 290 thereabouts. Um, what is the thinking? How would that fit into uh, metro projects? Uh, would, would people just be stuck uh, picking up a rental car uh, at the train station and going where they need to go in Houston? Uh, or is there a plan to integrate that possible project uh, with the rest of the transit system? Uh, hopefully there will be one. I think it would be a pretty big lost opportunity for if that if that station is built out there for that to be a, a sea of rental car parking lots because um, that's a perfect opportunity to do what I just mentioned of kind of creating a new hub and creating a center around that station um, that isn't just car dependent. Um, and I think mm, if Metro is probably prepared to think about how to connect to that. But until that's a done deal, I think that'll um, be something that they keep on the back burner, right? But I think it absolutely is essential if that station, if that line is built and if that station is built there for Metro to be able to serve it in a number of ways. And I think particularly that's finding solutions that allow commuters who are coming from Dallas to get to that station, get on a bus or get on a rail and get to the energy corridor, get to the Galleria, get to downtown, and do that in a way, again, that still saves them time, right? Um, and, and there are a number of options for that. There's you, They can add buses to that section and, and, again, maybe consider a BRT. I think the Uptown BRT would probably be able to either serve close to that or potentially be expanded to, to that. Um, you know, this is where they can start to think about using the existing system creatively as well. So maybe... Maybe a light rail extension is moving the green line west and finding a route west that could both serve neighborhoods that, as you mentioned earlier, aren't currently served by the light rail network and could also be built out all the way to the northwest. So, um, you know, I I think they're going to be thinking pretty expansively about what some options are um, for high-speed rail. And I think they have a it's a similar situation where they have a lot of options at this point, um, but that they need to do it deliberately and effectively so that that can become a part of the system. Because if it's not connected by transit, what you already 
alluded to is going to happen, right? It's a whole lot of Uber rides or it's a whole yeah. lot of rental cars yeah. focused on that, and it becomes a very different type of station. And how does how does this all relate to uh, everything that both the city is doing in terms of promoting um, uh, pedestrian connections, uh, as well as possible uh, or likely plans for a bike plan? Uh, bike plan. How does this fit into Metro's own efforts to promote cycling and pedestrian and other modes of transportation? How, how do these big projects we're talking about uh, fit into the smaller scale uh, improvements? Yeah, uh, great question. So you know, Metro even as a transit agency or because it's a transit agency, has a really important role in bike and pedestrian improvements. And so I think that's, again, thinking about those two modes as a part of that system. So that's Metro doing things like encouraging people to bring their bike onto the train or onto the bus, um, thinking about how they're creating an effective pedestrian realm around their new stations or around the transfer stations. Um, all those things wrap together. And so they they should and I think are planning in accordance with the bike plan and thinking about how to work with the bike plan and and other uh, focuses like complete streets and and tying people who may be walking to their stations uh, more effectively and safely to those spaces. So lastly, we alluded earlier to the 2003 bond referendum uh, for more than $600 million that voters approved that led to the expansion of the light rail system in Houston. Talk me through the politics of what happens next. Uh, how likely is it that they will need uh, that Metro will need another bond referendum passed to do any of these big projects we've discussed? And and what's the politics of it? Because Metro, of course, isn't just the city of Houston transit system; it's the county system. So it has to balance uh, two potentially very different constituencies of, of urban and more suburban residents? I know that's a big question, but take a stab at it. Yeah, well, and they always have. That's been a that's been a tension since Metro was founded in 1978. And so one of the things that they've done in previous referendums, and they, they likely would have to pass a referendum to get the major uh, amount of money that they would need for something like a rail project, um, the, the, there's a there's a whole big bowl of politics wrapped into those, right? So it's in a lot of the previous referendums, one kind of geographic entity or another has has allow, has been able to derail it, for lack of a better yeah. phrase, um, because they say things like, well, that's not, I, I don't see how my neighborhood is being served or I as a constituent is, am being served, so why would I support my tax money that's going to Metro for this project? Um, and they're going to have to navigate that type of uh, conversation again. And the way they've done that in the past is to try to do a referendum like 2003 that has multiple prongs. And so it is, okay, here's maybe the centerpiece rail project, but we're also improving an express bus this way. Or we're going to build an HOV or a hot lane over here. Um, and thinking about kind of giving pieces to a variety of voters. Um, and I think I think it's key that they do that again in a really strategic way, not strategic politically necessarily, but strategic effectively. Again, kind of I'm going to return to this this same mantra of thinking about it as an entire system. Um, the the way it could be most beneficial and the way it could kind of set them up for subsequent bonds um, and subsequent voter support is to say, here are the set of improvements that we want to make that we think will create the best system for everyone in our service area. And part of that messaging to us as voters is 
you're right. You might not get a light rail in a convenient spot to you, but you, we all have to start thinking, and Metro, I think, has to message this to say it's a system, and the improvements that we're making for this group over here allow them to use the city in a different way. The improvements we make for you allow you to use the system in a different way, and all of those things can be uh, mutually supportive and really should be mutually supportive. Um, and I think that's where not just Metro, but the, the region has to go as we start to think about transportation. Well, it'll be an interesting uh, next few years for Metro mm -hmm. as they sort through uh, all these big questions. Uh, thank you again. That was Kyle Shelton, Director of Strategic Partnerships for Rice University's Kinder Institute for Urban Research. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks. Man. And you can follow Kyle on Twitter, at Kyle K. Shelton. That's it for the show. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can follow The Urban Edge online at kinderurbanedge.com. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Rice Kinder Inst. That's I-N-S-T, like Institute. I'm Ryan Holywell. Thank you for listening.